Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is Paul Beston, Managing Editor of City Journal. Coming up on the show today, we have a fascinating discussion with former Oklahoma City Mayor Mick Cornett, who was interviewed by City Journal contributing editor Aaron Wren about his tenure as mayor and his new book, The Next American City, The Big Promise of Our Mid-Sized Metros. Cornette served as mayor of Oklahoma City for four terms, from 2004 to 2018, during which time he helped turn the city into one of America's up-and-coming places. Aaron's interview with Mick Cornette begins after this. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, this is Aaron Wren, contributing editor at City Journal, and I'm very excited to be joined today on the podcast by Mick Cornett, who is the former four-term mayor of Oklahoma City. And we're here to talk today about his brand new book, The Next American City, The Big Promise of Our Mid-Sized Metros. Mayor Cornett, thanks for joining me. Good to be with you again, Aaron. So, uh, we hear a lot today about elite coastal cities, San Francisco, New York, the world is spiky, all of that stuff that you hear. You are making a very different case. You are saying, actually, not that those other places are bad, but that there's another group of cities uh, that are also doing very well and really starting to emerge. So tell us a little bit about your thesis. On a percentage basis, the growth going forward, population growth, is not going to be in those big east and west coast cities that we're so accustomed to, to growth. It, it's going to be in that mid-sized city. Now, Oklahoma City is an example, but there are you know dozens of others. Uh, Des Moines, Little Rock, Wichita. There's, there's a lot of cities out there that kind of fall into that category. And what it appears to be happening is that the millennial generation and the generation behind them is starting to look at the quality of life, what they're looking for in a, in a place to live, and they're finding these mid-sized cities have a lot to offer, and they don't look at choices in that mid-sized range as inferior to New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or Dallas. They look at them as, as, as equal or even better for what they're looking for. So a lot of this was driven by your experience in Oklahoma City and the, and the transformations that occurred, you know, probably from, you know, before you became mayor on through your, your, your 16 years in office and then, and then afterwards. What happened to Oklahoma City? Where did it come from? And, and like, how did you get to where you are now? Well, Oklahoma City, if you, if you take a snapshot, say 1990, was probably the 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 worst big city in America. Probably had the worst economy, the worst downtown. Uh, we were hemorrhaging, you know, people. We didn't have a lot of you know, higher paying jobs, uh, and we had a business minded mayor who who made a, a great concerted effort to make this the economic development, you know, uh, deal of its day with the United Airlines. And long story short. He spent a year of his time and an incredible amount of incentives on the table for United to choose Oklahoma City, and United said, no, thank you. And Oklahoma City was astonished because they knew their incentive package was just so extraordinarily large they couldn't figure out why Indianapolis got this, this opportunity. And it turns out that United did some research, and they just couldn't imagine their employees living in such a, a place that had such a poor quality of life as Oklahoma City. And there was just nothing to do. The downtown was, was completely dead. Um, uh, and, and so Oklahoma City realized that, you know, 
we keep waiting for someone from the outside to come save us, and it doesn't look like anybody's ever coming, so we probably better invest in ourselves. And that was the turning point moment. That mayor went back to the voters and passed a sales tax to kind of reinvent the inner city, very similar to the sales tax he was offering United if they would bring those jobs. And uh, it, it built a new sports arena, a new baseball stadium, a, a kind of a, a water feature that went through an abandoned warehouse district that is now an entertainment district with 7 million visitors a year. It put water in the river <laughs> it, by building some, some low-water dams. We had, a, we had a big ditch that we called the river, but there really wasn't any water in it. But now there's, it's riverfront property, and we hosted the Olympic trials and rowing on, on the last two Olympic cycles. And so that was, that was kind of the turning point. And interesting politically to me, that mayor that passed all that, he, he served 11 years, but he was out of office by the time these projects started opening and the city started changing. And so, you know, he, he's now considered, you know, kind of one of our founding fathers of the Oklahoma City Renaissance. But he had a fairly controversial and, and oftentimes negative tenure as the mayor of Oklahoma City. Uh, the next mayor came along and, and, you know, used that same format to work on the schools. And then I uh, served 14 years following that and have been chronically and telling the story of Oklahoma City along the way. Those you know, capital improvements you talked about, the MAPS projects, there's a lot that's completely unique about the way Oklahoma City did it. And it feeds into why it took so long for those projects to open after it was passed. Talk a little bit about the structure because it's so contrary to what everybody else is doing. Well, it's a sales tax, and it's, it's, and it's, it's very simple in structure. I mean, it, it was, it's a penny on the dollar, and that very first initiative was for five years. And the mayor at the time said that that was about the length of time people would, would take out a car loan, and so they, could, they kind of didn't feel like forever. And so a penny on the dollar sales tax for five years, no debt. In other words, the city would collect the dollars and then turn around and build the projects with the cash flow that came up. Um, and so in a very conservative political climate like Oklahoma City, that appeals to people. Their tax dollars are being spent on capital projects. There's no debt. And they know that tax is going to stop or minimally they'll be offered a, a new option or some new ideas. Uh, and they can continue the tax, but they get to vote again. It's, it's not permanent. And, and that really has appealed to a kind of a, a, a conservative climate in Oklahoma City. You know, a lot of people today are talking about this Amazon HQ2 project. Well, that United Airlines thing was was the uh, the uh, uh, Amazon you know HQ2 of its day. It, it was, was this yeah. massive national bake off, and you know Indianapolis won. And as I said, what what a lot of think maybe a lot of people in Oklahoma City didn't know because a lot a lot of people in Indianapolis don't know your story, but I think my people in, uh, in Oklahoma City didn't know is that that thing actually closed after less than a decade, and they got stuck holding the bag on a lot of debt. And I was wondering if you thought this had any lessons for HQ2. How do you think cities should be thinking about HQ2? Because it seemed like you you won for losing yeah. on this one. Well, yeah, and so I think the way cities ought to be thinking about it is that the, the secret to economic development is still creating a city where people want to live. And if you're, if you're designing and putting a lot of eggs in one basket for one specific corporate um, win, um, then you're probably underselling your opportunities in a grander scale. And I would, I would suggest that whoever finishes second and third and fourth in, in, the, in, the, in the new opportunity, 
um, ought to learn from those lessons. They shouldn't look at this as some sort of disappointment. They ought to look at it as an opportunity. Well, what can we do with all the planning and effort we put into this? There's another opportunity that's out there that might ultimately be even better. Um, I mean, there, there's no guarantee on the business model of Amazon going forward. It sure, you know, certainly looks really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other opportunities that are probably going to exceed it. That's just the way business, you know, the business takes place. And I still believe you're better off uh, investing in the businesses that are already in your community as opposed to trying to, to bring in big-scale investments from the outside. Uh, it's it's uh, it, it's really hard to get you know a corporate headquarters. In this case, it's sort of a corporate headquarters and sort of not. But it's really hard to get you know the, the corporate headquarters to move. But if you've already got businesses that are set to grow, you need to do what you can or figure out ways to to give them every opportunity to grow where they are. Well, the maps projects were about bricks and mortar, and a lot of cities do those types of projects. And building things is actually kind of easy if you have the money. You know, we know how to design buildings. We know how to hire construction companies. But when you were mayor, you took on a very different kind of challenge that's not as easy, which is getting people to change their lifestyle when you put the whole city on a diet. (laughs) So that seems like a much harder challenge. Uh, So how how did you do that, and uh, what were the results? Well, I— when I was elected mayor in 2004, I spent that you know that first year and the second year trying to talk to people inside the city about our emerging status, and and I was using these lists to kind of validate our ascension. I was we we're the you know 18th best city to do this, or number 16 and best city to get a job, or best place to start a business. And we weren't at the top of any of these lists, but we really had never been on lists before, so mm-hmm. it was still kind of cool for us. Mm-hmm. And I was using those lists to validate uh, you know our our. our, our, our progress. And then came out this list of the most obese cities in the country. And I didn't know what to say. I was completely off guard. I didn't know how to defend it or or talk about what I was doing to do it. Mm. And and then I got on the scales and I realized that I'd become part of the problem. Mm. I had gained 10 pounds in each of the first two years that I was elected mayor. And I was, you know, wasn't thin to begin with. And so here Mm. I was, uh, uh, when I went to a website, I found out that I was 40 pounds overweight and and I was embarrassed, and I'd become an example of the problem. And no mayor wants to be an example of the problem. So I didn't know what to do about the obesity issue, but I knew I could lose weight. I'd done it before. I had this, you know, kind of this uh, history as an adult of, you know, gaining a little weight every year and then losing a bunch of weight. And so I'd done it before. So I stopped eating as much. Everybody wants to feed the mayor. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy to say no all day long. But I lost about 40 pounds over 40 weeks. But along the way, I started thinking about obesity as an issue. I had a lot of, you know, a lot of time to, to kind of think about it. And I realized one of the interesting aspects about the obesity issue was that we weren't talking about it. We were very aware that Oklahoma City had an obesity problem. You just could look around and see it. And you could see in the next generation it wasn't going to get better on its own. But it was like, you know, we're nice people and obesity affects the way people look. And so uh, we're not going to discuss it, you know, out, out loud. It's not, it's, it's kind of invasive to talk about it. And I realized that that wasn't getting us anywhere. And I figured we have to start a conversation about obesity. I don't know how we deal with it, but I know the first step has got to be a conversation. It can't be something we're afraid to talk about. And so to kind of just create a conversation, I, um, I went to the zoo and I stood in front of the elephants, called a press conference, and announced I was placing the entire city on a diet and that the city was going to lose a million pounds. 
I hadn't really done the math or anything like that. You know, it wasn't a very sophisticated program. And I had political advisors telling me, do not do this. You know, political instincts are to tell people what they want to hear. And here I was telling people that we were overweight and we needed to lose weight. But the national media responded to it so positively. And in the book, I talk about the chapter of going on the Ellen DeGeneres show and my anxiety, you know, being concerned that people would laugh at us. And here I was bringing attention to this negative image of Oklahoma City. But what happened was the national media embraced us like I hoped they would and, and came to the conclusion that this wasn't just a problem in Oklahoma City, but this was actually a city that was trying to do something about it. And the national media's response and then the local area's response uh, was very heartwarming and, and part of the success. Keep in mind, it was an awareness campaign. It, there was nothing scientific about it. There was nothing medical about it. Mm. We had a website and a counter, and 47,000 people signed up and, and said they lost 47,000 pounds. I mean, said they lost a million pounds. And they did over a four-year period. I don't doubt that that happened. But I can't tell you that there weren't 47,000 other people who gained a million pounds mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not claiming there was some big weight loss uh, effort. What I'm claiming is it was an awareness campaign that was highly successful. Mm -hmm. The message penetrated, and we were able to talk about obesity, and it's about how much you eat, and it's what you eat, and that there are you know better choices to be made. I also made the strategic decision not to take on the private sector. I worked with Taco Bell mm -hmm. on, on different parts of the menu with the idea that I can't keep people from going to Taco Bell, but I can communicate that there are still choices to be made once you've decided to go to Taco Bell about what you eat. All the chefs in our, in our highest performing restaurants started coming out with mayor specials. And so when I saw later that mayors had lined up again on soda taxes and taken on the private sector in some high-profile uh, confrontations, I thought, you know, that's the wrong way to go about it. Uh, from a leadership perspective here, I didn't have any money to spend on this, this weight loss campaign, but I used the private sector and their marketing dollars to help drive attention to our website, uh, thiscityisgoingonadiet.com. And it was really the key to keeping people engaged and energized and, and to make it so successful. So it, it is a, a couple of chapters in the book, and I hope people can learn from it. I think there are some, some lessons that I learned along the way. And, uh, and one of the, the next stages was that I realized that the built environment was part of our problem. In other words, we designed the city around cars, and I, you know, kind of in a high-profile way announced to the city that we had designed the city around cars, but now we're going to design it around people. And that means building sidewalks and more jogging and biking paths, narrowing our downtown streets, making them two-way instead of one-way, making it a more pedestrian-friendly community. And now when you go into Oklahoma City, you see a completely different infrastructure, especially downtown, and a lot of construction to, to reflect that in the suburban areas. And that, that awareness campaign was critical because with the awareness campaign, people had an understanding of how the built environment was part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it, it's kind of been a journey for me. I've learned along the way. I certainly, when I started, didn't know how it would end up. But here we are, you know, over 10 years later, and Oklahoma City is a changed place um, uh, in understanding uh, the, the dangers of obesity, have a, a higher awareness on, on health in general, and a much healthier city for the next generation to grow up in. Usually when um, you know, a mayor writes a book, 
Uh, all of the chapters are, here's another incredible thing I did while I was the mayor. <laughs> and uh, one, of the, one of the great things uh, about the next American city is you don't just talk about the things you did, although you talk about things like your obesity. You talk about what your predecessors did, but you don't just limit it to Oklahoma City either. You talk about things that are going on in a lot of other cities that were also mid-sized cities and, and kind of how this whole class of cities is emerging. One of the places uh, you wrote about is actually the city that I'm originally from, believe it or not, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And you talked about Mayor Fisher there and his plan to make it the most compassionate city in the world, which I think was just a very unique, another thing you just don't hear mayors talk about. What were they doing in Louisville? Well, as you said, when, when I heard Mayor Fisher was going to you know start kind of a, a program or a, um, a, an initiative about compassion, I didn't know what he was talking about, really. <laughs> and it, it reminded me in some ways of the obesity effort that I put on, because it's a lot about the mayor using the bully pulpit to talk to his citizens in, a, in kind of a one-on-one manner about what we're really about. You know, someone has to stand up and control the narrative for a city or for a state. We need government leaders that can control the narrative with positive energy and positive messages. And I think Mayor Fisher did an excellent job of standing up and say, we're going to be a more compassionate city. And here's what that means. Well, everybody wants to be in a compassionate city. I mm-hmm. can't imagine somebody that doesn't. But it took leadership to kind of explain the the, the road forward in that. Um, and I, I, you know, I just I admired his efforts in that regard, and and uh, and you know how it's led uh, Louisville to be a better place. And it's just one of many examples of of leadership that are in this book, and also sometimes mayoral leadership, but sometimes private sector partnerships um, in in the in the book. The third really stream of material in this book is a little bit about yourself and your (laughs) journey to becoming mayor of the city. And it it was really interesting because, you know, a lot of people don't know you were originally a sportscaster. Yeah. So how does someone get from being a sportscaster to a mayor? Well, and that was the chapter that almost didn't make it in the book (laughs) because it's so personal to me. And as you said, you know, I didn't want this book to be about me. It's, and at the end, it's about a third about me, a third about Oklahoma City, and a third about the rest of the country. But, you know, my, my journey, uh, you know, kind of started to change. And I was, I was in my 30s, and uh, I, I noticed that, you know, being a sportscaster and living the dream that the job I always wanted I had, I realized that it, it might not be enough, and I kind of wanted a second half to my professional career. But I didn't know what that meant. I didn't really know what I was looking for. And it was kind of, you know, at the back of my mind that this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And then the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. Well, you know, that changed a lot of people's lives in Oklahoma City. And I, I really started, you know, questioning, am I, am, am I really making a difference? Is all of these things that I'm doing as a sportscaster, is the world a better place for it? I mean, this is heavy stuff for, for a person that spent at this point, you know, well over a decade and ultimately two decades in the business. And... Um, and and finally, a pivotal day in this in this kind of journey was was uh, uh, I I had I transferred in this in this process from sports to news to kind of have a more serious you know angle for my life, and my boss you know assigned me to go cover city hall, and I I kind of argued against it. I wanted to go cover the state legislature, and she wanted me to go cover city hall, and I had a kind of this 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 euphoric um, moment in that first city council meeting, I saw the the people of Oklahoma City standing in front of their mayor 
and pleading their case, and I saw this interaction of local government, and I realized this is where you can make a difference. This is what I've been looking for. Um, so I enjoyed covering City Hall. I covered the mayor's race for a, for a new mayor. I had no idea the next time there was an open seat, I would be on the ballot. Um, but at the time, you know, I just thought, man, local government is where it's at. And I didn't really necessarily, you know, think that I would be, you know, immediately joining. But over a, a, a couple of years, I realized that, you know, I think that's what I want to do next. And so I left television, started my own business, and ran for city council. After three years on city council, our mayor uh, vacated the, the, the seat, and I ran for the open seat and uh, ultimately served four terms. Um, and so there's a chapter in the book about, you know, so a lot of, you know, very personal things that I was going through trying to find myself. I guess it was some level of a midlife crisis. Um, but I wound up being a, from going from a, a, a sportscaster who kind of centered around comedy uh, into becoming the mayor of, of Oklahoma City in a span of, you know, like 10 years. I could talk to you all day about this book because there are so many great stories in it, uh, but I want to leave at least a few uh, for other people to discover. So I want to end with just a final question that I, I don't know that it's really in the book, uh, but it was prompted to me by the book, which is you know, we live in such a media-saturated age, and you represented your uh, city on Ellen, very high, some very high-profile things you've You've developed a national profile, not just for yourself, but for your city by getting out and speaking. And you brought to that all those media skills uh, that you, you, you developed in your, in your sports casting days. You were just comfortable in front of cameras. You knew how to communicate. Do you think that that sort of, uh, not necessarily the, the media per se, but this idea of being the great communicator and being able to get your message out in the media nationally is like a skill people have to have to to be a successful mayor today? Well, it, it's certainly helpful. And I, I wouldn't say you have to have it, uh, but it's an asset. You know, every, every mayor generally brings a private sector background, but every mayor brings everything they've ever done their whole life to the position. And I think you have to look at your assets and how you can use your skill set for the betterment of your community. And for me, that was my ability to communicate. And I think I underestimated how important it was. Mm. And I, I learned about leadership along the way. Um, wound up going to NYU and getting an MBA um, and studying leadership there. And I realized in, in, in studying leadership that I was doing a lot of the things that they, that they said you should do in leadership, but no one had ever told me. <laughs> I, I just kind of stumbled through it in life and just realized that communicating with people, explaining the vision, here's what we're, here's what we're trying to do, here's why we're doing it, here's what it's going to take to do it, um, over and over again, people people love it when their leadership stands up and gives direction. Mm. Um, and you know, the, I think the key, and and I you know inherited this from my predecessors, is I never had a hidden agenda, or ne you know I never had a personal agenda. I just wanted the the city to do better. Um, and and I think people recognize that. And when and you know I always use the term we, or at least try to. Occasionally I use the word I. But occasionally it's we because it's got to be it's got to be about more than just me, um, and I'm you know I'm I'm just excited and thrilled about the future of American cities. I think some great ideas are out there. There's some wonderful new mayors out there, and communication skills, as you said, are becoming more and more relevant. To, you know, to going forward and leading, uh, and at City Hall. Once again, the book is the next American city. The big promise of our mid-sized metros. There's a lot of great stuff in there. Oklahoma City's been through a lot, and Oklahoma City has accomplished a lot. 
so thank you very much uh, for joining me to, uh, to talk about it today. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.